because often philosophers of law try to avoid defining law or contemplating it as a universal and thus get into what are called theories of ju jurisprudence. There are many hybrids in the philosophy of law, contemplating the nature of law between the extremes of natural law theory and legal positivism. All these hybrids are created by partitions who have an interest in maintaining the power of the law. So for example, patricians uh, Ronald Dworkin and Hans Kelsen, K-E-L-S-E-N, insist law is not just rules, but a system of rules that derive from basic presupposed transcend transcendental normative statements that at least for Dworkin, uh, Ronald Dworkin, include morality. So what are these presupposed trans transcendental normative statements? They do not say, doubt if Kelsen had a clue, in the finest traditions of partitions such as Hegel engaging in state worship, Kelsen was also a virtuoso at throwing out categorical imperatives and idealistic verbiage so that the artistic beauty of the verbiage created a language reality or universe of discourse, as some academics like to call it, that became an end in itself more real than the reality of law. For Ronald Dworkin, uh, as a patrician who, patrician who spent most of his life concerned only with achieving prestige and economic power within his patrician class, throwing the word morality into a social construct philosophy of law was simply a nominal means to justify his power and privilege. These two exemplified the modern philosophies of Arthur Schopenhauer and Friedrich Nietzsche and even of Ayn Rand, predicting that aesthetics will one day become the meaning of truth. Both of these and their uh, followers of these hybrid philosophies claim to be naturalized to science even though their hypotheses never comply with Occam's razor and are unable to make any quantifiable, parameter-controlled, repeatable, falsifiable predictions of what law will be descriptively. At best, some can only stay what it ought to be in an evaluative and perspective normative sense. Why others interpret law, but again, they interpret it by assuming they have no preconceived norms of interpretation. None of these philosophies defining law by reference to rules uh, can explain or even try to explain how they differentiate between a law and a rule without first knowing the difference between a law and a rule in the first place. None of these philosophies, as is true of lawyers, judges, and law schools in general, have any concept of history or how the law has worked in history is simply a uh, monopoly on violence for the rich and powerful. Supplemental to these philosophies of law, there is mixed in between great masters of what uh, many writers have called the lawyerly, lawyerly art of shoveling smoke, calling themselves school of jurisprudence such as law and economics, critical legal studies, critical legal realism, critical race studies, and many others, and there are many academic progenies who have made philosophy of law into a formulaic zero-sum patrician word game. Their word games, through aesthetic verbiage that annuls and contradicts, serves to cloud the intellect and cloud the thought of law students to con them into accepting dishonest and fraudulent thought as morality and ethics, while at the same time giving unsophisticated non-lawyers a facade of intelligence for the law, 
so they will also accept dishonest and fraudulent thought as morality and ethics, with the law being the cathedral of the ultimate fraud called justice. Law, modern law, wants to be a science without contemplating, let alone understand, understanding what science is. It ignores the one universal attribute of science the law most desperately needs, the use of Occam's razor as both a teaching requirement for its technique and as an epistemological attribute of its truth. It does not use Occam's razor because its use would reduce philosophy of law, jurisprudence, and the practice of law to a craft and trade which philosophers of law, judges, and most lawyers would find insulting and, dis and dismissive of their skills in generating and shoveling smoke made up of aesthetic truth. Philosophy deals with the fundamentals of reality, but philosophy of law deals with the fundamentals of ignoring reality. It wants to contemplate law while avoiding the law except for the 1% of it that has published appellate decisions, which is about the only part of it that it considers, except some philosophers of law every now and then consider statutes. Apparently, there is an implicit assumption present that, like sausages, the less that is known about how, law, how particular law is made, the more respect there will be for the law and their so-called profession. The little actual practice experience that the vast majority of philosophers of law have or contemplate almost always involves representation of petitions, patricians, or the law itself as attorneys for the government. Very few, if any, have ever represented the working class. They deal in language but have no philosophy of language. They just assume everyone should assume they know what they are talking about because the talk is in the required formulaic verbiage. An existential philosophy of law must avoid these errors and hypocrisies, uh, and it does. I will be summarizing the, an existential philosophy of law in the next uh, podcast episode. It will be building upon the prior podcast dealing with the philosophy of language, and especially in the existential philosophy of language, Contemplating a philosophy of language is a necessary aspect of contemplating the nature of law and the philosophy of law because the law, by definition, is not only made up of words, but the law is considered and is treated as a universal, as a word that is a universal that describes something that is the same in all social constructs. <laughs>